Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. About, uh, I don't know, every month or two, I'll get uh, an email or a prayer request, and uh, someone will say something. It's kind of the idea of like, you know, I, I've got this prayer need, but I just, I don't want to bother God with my problems. I, you know, there's so much bigger needs that are out there and so much more important things, you know, that need to be prayed for. And, and that would make sense if God was like short on resources or you know, if, if God only had a little bit to give, if he only had a little bit of time or a little bit of attention, that would make sense. You know, like, okay, well, Lord, save all the healing for, like, people who have little kids or, or for kids themselves or, you know, but if you only have so many miracles, make sure you allot them well. Or if you only have so much attention, you know, you can only answer, you know, there's so many prayers that you can answer a month, you know, and, and so let's just focus on the unsaved. Because we're already with you and we don't have to worry about it. But see, the problem with that idea is that God is unlimited in his resources. And the other thing that's so wonderful is he is extravagant in sharing them and giving them with us. We have an unlimited, extravagant God. I mean, think about that. Does God have enough attention for you? I mean, he's been thinking about you before he set the foundations of the earth. I mean, he's, you, are, you are in the center of his mind always. He couldn't give you more attention. You couldn't be more important to him. And does he have time? I mean, he stands outside of time. He has all of eternity. He's always existed, always will. He's got plenty of time. Does he have miracles to give? You know, the only limiter of the miracles is our asking and and our faith and our coming to him. Or how about resources? Has he got enough resources to go around? Scripture says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But it's actually a lot better than that. If you look at Psalm 50, 12, it says that the whole world is mine. Everything in it, it belongs to me. If I was hungry, I wouldn't come talk to you. I got this taken care of. I got everything I need here. And so when we make that comment, when we say, well, you know, I I don't want to bother God with this. The real problem, you know what's really behind that? Is there's this thought deep in our hearts that, well, I'm just not that important. See, but that's just not true either. And if you look at Psalm 139, 13, you're probably familiar with that if you bring that up. For you created my inmost being. He created your inmost being. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Next slide. We praise him because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. His works are wonderful. We know that full well. And so he created you. He thought about you. I mean, you are so important to him. And Isaiah 53, 11 is one of my favorite passages. Because it says, and after Jesus, he says, after I suffered all that, after I went through the cross, I looked back on it, and I saw you, and I was satisfied. I saw all the suffering, and then I looked at you, and I said, worth it. I'd do it again. Do you know that? He looks at you, and he thinks about all. Think about all that Jesus went through. All that he went through, and he looks with you, and he, he looks at you and says, totally worth it. Do it again. I'm satisfied that that took place. And so we're in this uh, new series right now. I'm really excited about it. We're talking about uh, extravagance, and we're talking about how we serve an abundant, extravagant God who loves to lavish good gifts on his children. We're going to finish it with our extravagant praise at the end of the series. And you think about God. I mean, he's just a little extra, isn't he? And the things that he does, like I couldn't even make mud without his water and his dirt. 
And, and then, I mean, even that is amazing. And if you look at, look at the earth, like if, it was, if the earth was just a bunch of rocks, have you ever considered a rock? Like, can you make a rock? Wow. I mean, how do you even come up with that idea? But he didn't stop with just a bunch of rocks. You know, he, he decides, well, rocks, they're fine. But then he makes 200 billion trillion stars. I mean, it just seems a little over the top, a little extra. And we see his power just displayed everywhere. Why? Because we have an, un, we have an extravagant God. And so much unnecessary unhappiness comes because we think of God as a miser. We think that there's not enough, that he's just kind of holding back on us a little bit. God doesn't hold back on you. And I, I want to caution you, if you have this idea that God's just kind of like he's begrudgingly giving you some things because, well, he's God, he has to, right? And if you think God's a, a miser, it's, it's just a, a, such an unhappy way to live. First of all, you're not going to have, you know why? Because you're not going to ask. And you're not going to ask because you don't believe. You don't hope that he's actually going to come through for you. But I want to tell you, James tells you, ask. The reason you don't have is because you're just not coming before him. And listen, I've seen him heal, and I've seen him put relationships back together, and I've seen him save, and I see him take care of little things and huge things, and he repairs over and over again because he's an extravagant, giving, generous guy. See, if you think, if you think that he's miserly, you're going to go through life always feeling like you're getting ripped off. I have a, a relative, and it seems like every time we go out to eat, he, he, he says, they get his order wrong, right? And, and he, he says, always me. They always, anybody have any relatives like that? They always mess up mine. Listen, no, that's not true. You're just the only one who takes it personally. That, I'm telling you, they mess up everybody's order. You're the one who decides because of that the universe is out to get you, that God is angry at you, that everyone's trying to punish you. See, the problem is not that they mess up your order. The, the, the problem is how you receive it. And you're always getting ripped off, and you're always getting shortchanged. So people are not out to get you. You are just out to get God. You're waiting to get God. And it happens because you're looking for it, right? And see, if we're miserly, we're always forgotten. We're always scrapping by. People call it a spirit of poverty. It's a mentality of poverty where you never have enough. And the little that you have, you better hold on tight because what's going to happen when you let go of that? Is God going to come through and take care of you? And see, when we're an extravagant God, we open up our hands and we allow that to go. And you know what I find? As you let it go, he just puts more in there. He's like, I can trust you. I can give this because you know how to give it away. You're not afraid living in fear, living in scarcity. And you know, our perspective and our mindset guides, catch this, your perspective and your mindset guides what you are able to receive. And God's here, he's ready to give it. See, but if you have a mindset that he's going to give you little, when the, block, when the much comes, you can't even see it. You can't even receive it. I have a, a friend who is, he's just really, really optimistic. And so his favorite thing to say is, well, you, you know, we could be in a deep hole, hole filled with water. And I know he means well. <laughs> hole filled with water. <laughs> Took you a little of that. Thank you. All right, I've got more optimist jokes, but I'm going to pass. It looks like we missed there, right? So, hey, you just got it. All right. It takes work, but if you want to see God as miserly, you can. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, but if you want to see God as miserly, you will be able to see him that way. See, there's this problem. We have this false expectation that we're not supposed to have any difficulty in this world. 
Jesus says it's not going to be like that. But I'd like you to think for just a minute, okay? Let's say we have a little scale right here. And in this hand, you know, let, just put everything good. Everything good today. All right? And, and then let's put, let's put everything bad today that's come your way. What does your scale look like? I don't know about you, but my scale is like this, right? So why do we give so much weight to that one thing, that one little bad thing? Because we expect it all, all, all to be good. And so it's good, 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 good. One bad thing. Oh, my life is horrible. Oh, everything stinks, you know. God's out to get me, right? It's perspective that we have on God. And, and there's, see, there's three truths that are coming together in this series. And the first one, that God is absolutely well-resourced. He has what he needs. And here's the second truth, that God is unimaginably extravagant and generous towards us. And here's the third one, and this is probably the hardest for us to get, but you have to get it. You are precious and you are important to him. And see, if you understand that God has all the resources that he needs, all the time that you could ever hope for, all the attention that you could hope to get, and that he is generous, that he loves to give it, and then that you are important to him, you realize, wow, we have an extravagant God. We're going to start talking about, we're going to look at different aspects of his extravagance. And this week, we're going to look at a different Bible character with each one. And this week, we're going to start with his grace, his mercy, such extravagant grace. And we're going to look at the, Paul, the life of Paul, because I don't know if there's anybody else who shows it as much as he does. So if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he's talking to the young pastor in Ephesus and giving him advice on how to pastor, but he, he takes a little break from that, and he says, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me, Timothy. And it's in 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. And Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. So he gives him a job, he gives him something to do, that Paul gets to be part of what God's doing. Even though, verse 13, I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So there's the mercy. And then here we have the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. It's not just a little bit. The, the Greek word for that, it, it means like hyper grace. It's more than you can contain. It's like flowing out and flowing into others. And so this grace is flowing out of me along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience, unlimited. He's got plenty of patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I want to look at three things here. I want to talk about what Paul became, what he was, and what made the difference. So let's talk a little bit about what Paul became. So there's 27 books in the New Testament, and we know that Paul wrote at least 13, possibly 14 of those books. Okay, that's something right there. To say that I wrote half of the New Testament, that, that's pretty serious there. And I, I've shared this with you before, but I love what Andy Stanley says about uh, Paul. He says that he imagines the disciples, the apostles and Paul were all in a, in a room, you know, maybe they're in Peter's house or something like that. And, and then they have this little map of the world and that Paul, he, he circles Israel, you know, Judea, Samaria. He says, he puts a little line around that. And he says, okay, you, you 12, you take that and I'll take the rest of the world. Okay. And so that's what Paul does. And the reason that you and I are sitting here is because he started churches all over the rest of the world. 
Okay, so he's like the world's greatest missionary ever. Okay, so that's another thing he became. I also know that Paul was actually, while he was alive, was taken up to heaven. Can you imagine that? Like, come hang out here. Come hang out my house for a little while. And he's talking with God and seeing what's going on. I mean, just, it's just unbelievable what he became. But let's, now let's go back to what he was. That's what he became. What was he? He says, I was a blasphemer. What is that? Okay, it's to curse, it's to slander, it's to so, show contempt for God, but it's more than that. It's to harden your heart to the things of God. When we talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, it's the unforgivable sin, what is that? That is to harden your heart against God to such a point that you will never receive His grace. And that's the one thing that will separate us from Him. That's the one thing that can't be forgiven, right? And so he says, I'm a blasphemer, that's what I was. I mean, it's just crazy. I think about the blasphemy that's out there. I mean, does it break your heart just to see what people say and think about God? You know, watch like uh, Sam Smith's little thing. I didn't watch it, but I heard of it. His little devil thing at the Grammys. You're just like, what are you doing, right? Or then I think about like all these like Nickelodeon and Disney girls that my, my daughters watch and, you know, Hannah Montana is swinging around on a wrecking ball. And you're like, what? What on earth is going on here, right? And see, that, and that's how first century Christians saw Paul, except it was worse, that he was just absolutely evil. In fact, he says that I was violent. See what happened in Pakistan a little while ago? Remember weeks ago? Over, I think, 24 Christian churches, orphanages were burned to the ground because someone ripped the page out of the Quran, apparently. By the way, I want to let you know that uh, with the connection that we have in Gunnison, that you guys helped pay to rebuild one of those churches. We were able to, to, to give to that. But that's like, yeah, praise God. But that's, that's like, that's what we're talking about here. This is, that's what Paul did. Stuff just like that. Kill him, capture him. And how does he get from there? How does he get from a blasphemer to an apostle? Well, he tells us, this is how I made that journey. I was shown mercy. Grace was poured out on me abundantly. Abundantly just pouring out into my life. I mean, is there anyone here who has touched God's grace? Is there anyone here who's touched his mercy? Is there anyone here who's been changed by grace? Isn't it amazing how grace changes your life? Is there anyone here who's been shown mercy when you actually deserve punishment? I, heard, I could think of one where um, Gina and I, we were uh, dating, and uh, my roommate and buddy, he had a motorcycle, and he let me take it out. And I took the street bike and put Gina on the back of it. And we were going all over the place and picnics and had a great time. And, and then um, I, I dropped her off at her car. And so she's in her car, and I'm still on the bike. And I'm, like, just showing off like crazy. You know, she's driving. I'm like, and I'm flying all around there and stopping and going back and forth. And she goes straight, and we're in Fort Collins. She goes straight and shields, and I turn left on Prospect. And guess what happens? The light's right behind me. So I pull over, and he comes up to the bike, and he says, uh, well, I need to see your license. And I said, well, here it is, but I don't have a motorcycle license. And he says, okay. And he says, well, I need to see your registration and insurance. And I was like, not my bike. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And then he says, and you're speeding 15 miles over. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, reckless driving, yeah, okay, got to get that too. He says, I, I, I mean, we're sitting already. We're just getting started, and we have five infractions. And he says, uh, what, what do you have to say? I was like, uh, I guess I shouldn't have been showing off for my girlfriend. <laughs> he said, yeah, I guess not. 
And so then he says, I can't let you take this bike home. And I said, but it's not my bike. I said, I can't leave this bike just sitting here. I said, can I push it? He says, yep, you can push it. And so I was over at Shields and Prospect, and I pushed it all the way to Shields and Overland, which is about one and a half to two miles. And he sat there, and he watched me the whole time <laughs> pushing this bike. And so then uh, I get to uh, it's my day to appear, you know, and I, so I go to court to see if I could get it reduced or whatever. And uh, so I, I'm uh, waiting, you know, for them to call my name. I'm there like all morning, and, and they never call my name. And I'm like, well, when do I get to go? And, and so then I went over, and I talked to the clerk there and I was just like here's my ticket this is it. and she's like um, he never turned it in maybe he showed off for his girlfriend I don't know what it is you know but what I deserved punishment I didn't have a motorcycle's license I had no right being on that thing I had no business doing that right and yet I get mercy in the midst of anybody had mercy before isn't God good and abundant with his mercy and here it is we get Paul he says I am the worst of sinners and I become the greatest evangelist? Evangelist? Wow. See, you know what? You know grace and mercy, they're both about what you deserve. M mercy is the punishment that you deserve that you didn't get. Grace is the empowerment and the strength and, and the joining in on what he does that you don't deserve to do. And he gives us mercy, the punishment. I mean, what, what punishment do we deserve? We deserve to be separated from him for the rest of eternity. And what does he do? In his mercy, he says, come be my child. And, and not just like, okay, yeah, I'll let you in, but, but come sit on my lap. Come be near me. Let's walk hand in hand together. I'm just amazing. That's amazing mercy. And then grace. I mean, we at least should be benched from the team, right? We actually, we shouldn't even be allowed in the arena but then he's like, you get in there and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and I'm going to give you power and I'm going to give you position and I'm going to give you a call and I'm going to give you works of service for which I prepared for you in advance to do because I want you to be part of this. That is amazing grace. You know, before I came and found grace, what were you before you experienced grace? I think the best word for me was selfish. I mean, even my good things were bad. Even being good was really, it was all just about me. And I, I've still got selfishness, and, and there's still things that need to be changed there. But since I have tasted grace, I'll tell you what, I am not just ready, but I am eager. I'm asking, oh, Lord, let me be poured out like a drink offering for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, just take all that I have and let it be for you. Less of me, God, and more of you. In fact, all of you and none of me. Because of his amazing, have you just tasted his mercy and his grace? But you and I, we, we put limits on it. We think it only goes so far. And we put limits that God doesn't limit. And here I'm going to show you. Here's one that, that I think that many of us, most Christians put on God's grace and God's mercy. It's this. Now that I am a Christian. Now that I'm a Christian. See, we like to talk about what we did before. That's okay, right? I was a pothead. I was an alcoholic. I was an angry person. I was, I was, I was, I was. But now I'm this, right? But we, we're not so excited to talk about what we are now. It's a lot harder to say, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I have an anger problem. It's a lot harder to say, you know, I've been walking with God for decades and my thought life is a mess. I know Jesus and before him, I was judgmental. And guess what? I'm still judgmental. It's a little tough to talk about those things that we're walking in right now, right? 
But listen, Christian, listen to this. It is time to let go of this idea. There we were, you know, we were kind of in a pile, and then God came with us with his grace and mercy, and he put us on our, our feet, which he did, said put us on the rock of Jesus Christ. But we had this idea that when he put us up here on our two feet, that now we stand on our own two feet. It's not true. You see, it was his grace and his mercy that came and picked you up from that mess. And it's his grace that put you on the rock of Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's his grace and his mercy that sustains you so you can continue standing on the rock right now. You never stand on your own two feet in Jesus Christ. And we got to get rid of this idea that, oh, well, once I became a Christian. And do, are we sanctified? Yes. Are we changed? Absolutely. Is he transforming us? You bet. But it is only by his grace and only by his mercy that you stand before him at all. And you needed it then and you need it now and you're going to need it tomorrow no matter how you change. What did Jesus tell Paul? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your sanctification. That's all he said. My power is made perfect in your goodness. My power is made perfect in your strength to stand on your own two feet. My power is made perfect in your weakness. In your weakness, that's what God says. That my grace and my power comes in your weakness, in your corruption, in your brokenness. That's what sustains and keeps us. And this idea of like, oh, well, now I'm a Christian, I have my act together, uh, then you don't know what it means to be a Christian. It means to be sustained and held up, forgiven, propped up by the mercy of God to have his power in the middle of our weakness. I'm going to tell you something about God. He is going to keep giving you things you do not deserve for the rest of your life. He's going to keep showing mercy on your life that you do not deserve for the rest of your life. Let's look at Lamentations here. And we're just going to look at the, the kind of the key linchpin verse of this book. And so this is written by the prophet Jeremiah. Israel has fallen. Babylon has taken them away. They are an absolute mess. And this book is his heart breaking because of it. But in Lamentations 3.21, Jeremiah the prophet says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Thank you, God, we have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Why? Because of his love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Catch us. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Here we are in the culmination of sin. Your mercies are new. Your compassions are new. When? When do they stop? When you know better? You know? You get, those when, your compassion, you get some new compassion when you're good? Every morning. You know what the beautiful thing about tomorrow is? You're going to wake up and you know what you're going to find there? Mercy. And then two days from now, you're going to wake up and you know what you're going to find when you're getting out of your bed? Mercy. Compassion, grace, sustaining you. And you had the bad thoughts and you, you, you know, you was just like you were a mess and you know what you find the next day? Mercy. Every single morning for the rest of your life, you find mercy. You know, the other thing, we limit, we limit God's grace another way is we, we limit it as just our repeat offenders. 
Okay, if I complete this for me, okay? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. That's not what the Bible says. Look at Matthew. Matthew 18, 21. You know what? Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. What's your limit? How many times can they fool you? Once? Twice? Four times? Pretty good. Seven. Wow, you're getting up there. Seventy-seven? You know, God says, you can't fool me. No shame on you. You can fool me if you try. There's no shame. And there's only one thing that can limit the mercy of God in your life. There's only one thing that can stop God from pouring his mercy out on you. And do you know what it is? It is your willingness to earnestly seek it and accept it. That's the only thing that can stop it. Get this. God is never done with you until you are once and for all done with him. And even then, as long as you have breath, there's mercy. There's grace. He's just, he's just reaching out to you, reaching out to you. Take, the hand, take my hand. Take the lifeline. Take what I give you. The only thing that could limit his grace is your refusal. Your decision that you won't receive it or ask for it. And every time that you are willing to come to him, every time that you are willing to repent, every time that you are willing to humble yourself before him, listen, you can. You can come back every single time. He will always say yes. He never looks at you and just be like, nah. I know you're crying out, but I'm just kind of tired of it. Never. He will always respond to that heartfelt prayer. Isn't that an amazing thing? What amazing grace. See, we limit how deep his mercy and grace goes, but I want to bring you back to Paul. We're just going to look at these verses we already read, and I want to just take another peek at verse 15. It's just so good. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now catch this. He says, of who I am the worst. And don't think this is hyperbole. Don't, the, don't think this is just him kind of like, ah, oh, shucks. I'm just, uh, I'm just not a very good guy. I actually think that Paul really believes this. Do you know why? Because he took the things of God. And in the name of God, he attacked God and the people of God. That's pretty bad. I mean, that's like hurting children in the church. The exact opposite of what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, that, that, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty awful here. And so he does those things. See, but the, this is so good. Where was I? Of who I'm the But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, and this is why I don't think he's just making it up. He says it again, the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So let me help you understand something here. You see, the worse the sin is, the uglier you were, the worse you were. When you come to Jesus and you receive his grace, the more glory he gets because he comes and transforms you. The more shame it caused, actually, the more beautiful it is when it experiences the grace of God. Because it just shows, wow, he even forgives that. He's even good in the middle of that. You know what I think God, I think God gets a huge kick out of making you the opposite of what you were. 
I think he loves, he loves to take horrible fathers and make them incredible papas and grandpas. Ever seen that? Man, you're a horrible dad, but you're sure a good grandpa. He loves to take alcoholics who can't get their own life together, and he says, hey, I'm going to make you a sponsor, and actually your job now is to help other people get their life together. He loves to take a frightened little girl and say, you know what, by my spirit, by my power, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to make you a powerful minister and warrior for the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to take right now, I'm I'm sorry to bring you here, but listen, it's going to be worth it, okay? Don't be afraid because you're not going to have to stay here. I want you to go for just a minute into your deepest darkness. darkness. What's your deepest darkness, all right? Maybe hang-ups with sex or or anger or or isolation or worry or anxiety or whatever it is. Okay, here it is. Now, I want you to think for just a minute. What's the opposite? That's where he wants you to go. This is what he wants you to become. You know why? Because that's how he already sees you. It says you are already seated in the heavenlies with him. God, God loves to see what others cannot see yet. God loves to call forth what he put there in the very beginning. God loves for you to reach your potential, to reach what you were really meant to be. And the question is, will you go from here to here? Would you say yes? Would you have enough grace and mercy for yourself to let that happen, to go along with what God wants to do? And he says, you know, you you think, well, I'm perverted. He says, no, 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 you're a model of purity. Will you come along to that? Well, I've destroyed my family. He says, no, no, you're actually going to be a builder of a legacy. Will you come along? I'm so angry. Yeah, okay, and now I'm going to make you an agent of peace. Will you take this journey of mercy and grace with me? And see, the worse it is, the more glory it brings to Christ. The worse it is, the more it just shows how good he is, how incredible he is. I mean, his mercy is extravagant. He's always responding to our crying out. So we have to take the path of unconditional surrender. And I do want to say that word, unconditional surrender. Excuse me, ministry and life, it comes from, and mercy comes from humble surrender. So you got to let go of your conditions because you know what your conditions are going to do? They're just going to get in the way of what God wants to do. So you can't tell God, all right, I surrender, but I'm not going to counseling. If he says go to counseling, you're going to counseling. You can't tell God, well, I surrender, but I don't want to join a small group. If he says, join a, just join a small group, you do what God wants to say, well, I want you to do. And so you surrender completely. And see, the thing is, we have to agree with his verdict. And you know what his verdict is in Jesus Christ? It's innocent. And stop fighting fights that have already been won. Stop trying to contend for what Christ has already purchased for you. There was a, a soldier uh, in... Um, the Philippines, a Japanese soldier by the name of Lieutenant Hiro Onodo. And uh, as he is in this uh, island, you may have heard it before, his uh, major tells him, he says, okay, I want you to fight in this Philippines island and uh, never surrender. And we're going to come back for you. Just keep fighting. So he and actually three other soldiers, he led these soldiers for the next number of years. And World War ends, and he keeps fighting. Until 1974, he keeps fighting. And so he would attack the police and he would attack government uh, holdouts there. And, and finally, this reporter in Japan 
he finds out about it. His name's Suzuki, and, and he decides, I'm going to go talk to this guy. And so he, he looks, and he finds, and he you know, goes deep into the bush, and, and he says, Lieutenant Hero, the emperor and, and the people of Japan were worried about you. And he says, I have to keep fighting. I have to continue in this order. And so he actually goes back to Japan, Suzuki does, and he finds the old guy who gave him the order, who's working in a bookstore, by the way. And he brings him back, and the, the, he stands before Lieutenant, and he says, time to stand down, soldier. And 30 years after the war is over, he finally stops fighting the war. Now, some of us are fighting a war that's been long since finished. Here, your parents aren't even alive, and you are still arguing with them. Your parents aren't even alive, and you're still trying to prove something to them right now, right? Or, or, or listen, you're, you're carrying all the shame and guilt and this load, and nobody even remembers it except you. And you're fighting a fight that's already been won. I told a, uh, a friend uh, a little while ago, I was just like, you know, I just think about high school, and I'm just, I'm just embarrassed. I just wish I would have, I wish I would have been different. And, and he said, Carl, you're in high school. Everybody in high school is an idiot. But, like, that, of course we're all embarrassed for who we were in high school. I know we've got some exceptions in this church. I mean, you guys are amazing. But, but the rest of us were idiots. And of course we're embarrassed, right? God, God doesn't just rescue and forgive us. God restores. God rebuilds. God renews. And he uses us again for greater things. Isn't it amazing, Paul? I mean, here he is, he's on this uh, Jewish assault on Christians and he finds mercy and grace and he becomes, uh, leads the entire world to Christ. And we have Peter who like, you know, he's starting to kind of maybe have a little bit of leadership there with the apostles and, and then he denies Jesus and he finds mercy and grace and Jesus says, okay, well now, now that you've tasted that, you're the rock that I'm going to build my entire church on, not just 12 apostles. Isn't it amazing what he makes us? So can we have a little mercy and grace for ourselves? Can we have a little mercy and grace for other people? And I want to tell you something. Listen, at some level, every single person is disappointing. And so are you. So can we have grace? And that's the extravagance of our God. That your greatest shame is nothing but a testimony of God's great glory. The worse it was, the better it is. We have a God who's so extravagant that he calls his enemies friends. He calls sinners saints. That he says failures are fulfilled. We have a God that's so extravagant that he, be, he brings supply to those who have squandered. And he brings power to people who have misused it and oppressed. And he brings healing and he, and he doles out healing to people who are passing out hurt. And he changes your name and he reverses your destiny and he makes good on your mistakes. What an extravagant, loving, amazing, gracious God that we have. So what do we do? We just run to him. We just run to the Father, understanding that he's the one who's lifting us up right now. I just want to run to Jesus. I want to just wrap my arms around him. And if I had hair, I would wash, it with my, wash his feet with my hair. And I would just thank him and just kiss him. And oh God, I just run after you and I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, for where you found me. 
Lord, I thank you for, oh, you have changed me so much, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, that I stand here now because you sustain me. And Lord, it is your grace and it is your mercy and it is your love and it is your beauty that I stand on now, that I hold on to, Lord. I thank you that you are the one who's propping me up, Lord. And I thank you that there is grace for today and that there is grace and there is mercy for tomorrow. And tomorrow you will hold me up and you will lift me up. Even if I blow it today, Lord, we will find mercy tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. We come running to you, God, because you are beautiful, you are gracious, you are merciful, and you are good in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.